The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Uh-oh. Thank you all for coming on such short notice. This just isn't like you, Stanley. What did my son say, Mr. Mackey? Did he say the S-word? No, it was worse than that. The F-word? Well, here's a short list of the things they've been saying. Okay. Oh, dear God. What the heck is a job? Oh, why, that's when you put your legs behind your head and have someone lick your Young man, you will tell Mr. Mackey this instant where you heard all these horrible phrases. I... I... We can't tell you. We all took a sacred oath and swore ourselves to secrecy. It was the Terrence and Phillip movie. Dude! What? you guys. I want to get out of here. Terrence and Phillip? Those Canadians? Uh, excuse me, what the heck is Terrence and Phillip? Terrence and Phillip are two very untalented actors from Canada. Nothing but foul language and toilet humor. Well, I guess I'll have to send a warning letter out to parents before more children see Terrence and Phillip. Everybody's f***ing seen it. Eric! I'm sorry, I can't help myself. That movie has warped my fragile little mind. Every now and again, there comes along a piece of art that generates controversy because the images that the art conveys are so powerful that they're imitated. The more impressionable the mind, the more likely the image is absorbed into the psyche. Children are thought to be the ones most easily influenced by images, and therefore children are used as the justification for censoring images that societies deem unhealthy. But. What happens when people are fascinated by images that are meant for an adult audience? What happens when the coolness factor of the art overpowers any underlying moral message? On this episode of ARC, I'm going to go over several selections that demonstrate how audiences can be seduced by something morally abhorrent because it looks so awesome. Later on, I'm going to give my review and commentary on one such selection, Martin Scorsese's latest movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. This is Ark. God bless television. To the movies, to good movies, to every possible kind. I am the danger. I am the one who knocks. Is that a hair gel? <coughs> Loud noises! There's no crying in baseball! I'll be back. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. These are their stories. From now on, I order you watch more television than ever before. Welcome, one and all, to an all-new episode of Arts Review and Commentary. I'm your host, Omar Latiri, and thank you so much for listening. This episode is brought to you once again by ArtsReviewAndCommentary.com's Amazon page. Game day is just a few weeks away, so click on the Amazon button to get everything you need for the big game. Shopping Amazon through ArtsReviewAndCommentary.com is the best way to help out the Realm Network and this show to provide on-demand entertainment for everyone. Let's say you want to get a message to a young audience that partying and being a slacker isn't all it's cracked up to be. The most direct way is to simply say so, but lectures are annoying and most people tune out figures of authority when it gets in the way of their youthful rebellion. Parody is often a great way to mock something while still being cool enough to enjoy. What happens when the parody isn't understood as such? What happens when your parody is so good and so cool that the message is lost? To help offer some insight on that, 
Here are the Beastie Boys themselves explaining on an NPR interview back in 2006 the real meaning of Fight for Your Right. Your first hit was Fight for Your Right, and um, Adam Yauch in the liner notes of uh, a Best Of collection, you write that the song began as a goof and that it started as a satire of I Wanna Rock kind of songs. So what did you have in mind when, when you wrote that? Yeah, basically that. I think you summed it. It was just kind of like just one of those like smoking in the boys' room type things. You just thought it was kind of funny. Did you feel like um, you were becoming the image that you created? I think so, yeah. I think in a way, you know, it's almost like we started out kind of like goofing on it, but then just sort of became it in a way. It's it's the become what you hate syndrome. Yeah. So you, happens. you set out with an agenda of parody, and a certain amount of time goes by, and you kind of cross that line. Yeah, like you parody something enough. You it's know, kind of like when you go to you England, are. and you do a British accent the whole time, and then you come home and you have a fake British accent. So, a song that was meant to be a critique on the slacker party people has now become an anthem for them. This happens often in entertainment. Parody is mistaken as glorification, and it's known in the trope world as do not do this cool thing. It happens when a piece of work satirizing something backfires because when the subject of the satire looks so cool, why would anyone not want to do it? Now, it's easy to blame an audience of dullards for not getting the message. Cynics would lament at the state of popular culture today by offering up reality TV stars as the example of the corruption of youth. Here are people who have become rich and famous for doing absolutely nothing with their lives except being totally superficial and idiotic, and they're ruining the future of the country. But that's too easy, and not really all that accurate. Yeah, there are some folks who watch shows like The Jersey Shore or Here Comes Honey Boo Boo and think, hey, if they can do it, why not me? But those people are really just a small, insignificant part of the population, and I don't think that they're a real threat to the country. Besides, no one is really getting injured or killed by a Beastie Boys song or reality TV, right? The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. Second rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. So, here we have a movie about men living their lives of such quiet desperation that they seek refuge from their boring lives by engaging in a Fight Club. The movie was meant to be a satire, but after the movie came out, Fight Clubs started appearing throughout the country. Not only that, but there have been a couple of incidents where bombs have been planted and the suspects were influenced by Fight Club's explosive Project Mayhem. Fight Club was meant to be a satire on these poor men who didn't know how to cope in a world where traditional masculinity is rejected. It's no coincidence that Meatloaf's character Robert Paulson has actual breasts. But instead of seeing these men as satirical objects, some men related to the characters in Fight Club, and the message was lost. And here we have a movie that has influenced so many lowlifes and wannabe lowlifes that its imagery is now synonymous with being a badass. How did this happen? How does a movie where the main character rises to the top and ends up destroyed wind up as a literal poster for being cool? How do people not see the prices these characters pay for their lives of luxury? I mean, it can't be spelled out any clearer. 
Edward Norton's character has to shoot himself in the face to get rid of Tyler Durden. Tony Montana ends up getting shot to death and missed by no one. Yet, these movies have influenced bro-dog and gangster culture to such a point that video games have been made for both Fight Club and Scarface where these characters are heroes that survive the game. But is this really affecting people's lives? Are enough people influenced by these cool images to actually make an impact on society? Undoubtedly, there are many folks who are inspired to do crazy, even immoral things based on a piece of fiction that they've read in a book or watched on a screen. Those things happen. Some prison guards at Abu Ghraib were inspired by 24. Somali pirates are influenced by the Pirates of the Caribbean. In 1993, a movie called The Program, starring James Caan and Halle Berry, was released, and it featured a sequence where several college football players test their wits by lying down in the middle of a road while cars pass them by. Several people were killed or injured attempting to do that stunt. But 24, the Pirates of the Caribbean, and the program weren't satirical, so there was no message to be ignored. Also, most intelligent people can look at those movies and separate reality from fantasy. But movies like Fight Club and Scarface are satirical, with a definite message to them. But the message gets lost in the positive imagery that's conveyed, and that positive imagery looks so cool that it outweighs the negative. Now, I'm not calling for censorship or anything like that. I just think that audiences need to be a bit more savvy in their watching when it comes to the costs of being rich, powerful, and cool. And maybe, just maybe, the satire can get its point across by showing a bit more of the negative, lest it inspire people with actual influence to do immoral things. My name is Jordan Belfort. The year I turned 26, I made $49 million, which really pissed me off because it was three shy of a million a week. When we come back, a movie so decadent, it makes Caligula look like Mary Poppins. The Academy Award nominated, The Wolf of Wall Street. The big game is coming, and that means big savings on everything you'll need through the Amazon page at artsreviewandcommentary.com. Up to 65% off on select NFL hats and caps, up to 50% off on select NFL clothing for women, and savings on everything you'll need for a party. Up to 40% off on NFL glasses, cups, coasters, and bowls. Amazon even has game day groceries and snacks. Everything from the chips to the crockpot and everything else you'll need for the big game, including TVs, speakers, and apps for your tablet or phone. And of course, collectibles, autographed helmets, balls, jerseys, and photos from the biggest names in the game. With Amazon Prime, shipping is free and fast. By shopping Amazon through ARK's webpage, you also help support this free show and all the other great shows on the Realm Network. Click on the banner at artsreviewandcommentary.com and once you're in, Bookmark the page to keep supporting the show. And share the link with friends and family. Big Game Gear, on sale now at Amazon through RealmNetwork.com and ArtsReviewAndCommentary.com. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. You know what a fugazi is? 
Fugazi. It's a uh, fake. Hey, Fugazi, Fugazi. It's a wazi. It's a woozy. It's a fairy dust. The Wolf of Wall Street, based on the story of Jordan Belfort, founder of Stratton Oakmont, a Wall Street brokerage firm that engaged in multiple cases of fraud all while getting rich. The 2001 movie Boiler Room was also based on Stratton Oakmont, and indeed, The Wolf of Wall Street follows many of the same beats as Boiler Room does. But The Wolf of Wall Street goes so deep into the depravity of its characters in a way that Boiler Room never does. Now, we know the story. Ambitious businessman starts from nothing, works his way to the top by any means necessary, reaps the rewards of drugs, women, money, gets investigated, and loses it all. There is nothing in this story that we haven't heard or seen before. What separates this from all the rest is how funny it all is. All of the performances are earnestly over the top, and the decadence is palpable. There's a scene with a candle that is so outrageous that it's tough to believe that the scene actually happened to the real Jordan Belfort. This is the longest movie Scorsese has made, but it sure doesn't feel like it. It currently has the reputation for having the F-bomb drop the most times in a movie, but you don't notice it after the first 50. It is by far the funniest Scorsese movie I've ever seen. It's as if Judd Apatow and Adam McKay were involved in this movie. It certainly has their humor, and it helps that none other than Jonah Hill is in this movie. He and Leonardo DiCaprio are part of an all-star cast that looks like they had a lot of fun making this movie. One scene even has a warm-up technique used in real life by Matthew McConaughey and inserts it into a very humorous scene. Make no mistake, however, people like Jordan Belfort are monsters. The business world is run by a bunch of sociopaths, and you have to be one in order to even consider getting into it. I kind of wish that the movie had shown the lives of the people Belfort and people like him destroyed. But the movie wasn't about that. It was about Belfort's story, and the movie keeps its focus on him and his perceptions. As such... It's been reported that folks on Wall Street are cheering at screenings during some of the more questionable scenes involving drugs and misogyny. Four out of five stars for The Wolf of Wall Street, a story that we all know and have seen before, but really fun to watch regardless. There are those idiots who will look at this movie and idolize someone like Jordan Belfort like they do Scarface or Gordon Gecko, thinking it's all worth it in the end. Smarter people will look at the ones who have it better. The actors who get to play these parts. They're the ones who get to have fun and not worry about the law coming after them on set. That's it for this episode of ARC. Please, feedback is much appreciated. And don't forget to visit artsreviewandcommentary.com for access to all of my movie reviews and ratings through the years, as well as Amazon shopping and links to all of the great shows on the Realm Network. Like ARC on Facebook at facebook.com slash arcreviews. Follow the show on Twitter at arcreviews. And you can email me at artsreviewandcommentary at gmail.com. My name is Omar Latiri, and this is ARC. 
The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.